If you're joining us here, um, or if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're here, and we're right in the middle of a series out of the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of James. We don't put a, we don't put a whole lot of scripture up on the screens, just to warn you if you're new with us, uh, you're not going to see a lot of scripture up on the screens, because we, we really believe, we're kicking it old school here, people. We really believe that it's good to have your Bible in front of you, to be able to underline, take notes, whether that's your Bible, your hard copy, or your version or your app on your phone, whatever that looks like, it's great to be tracking along in whatever you use on a daily basis. So James, From Skeptic to Servant, is a series that we're in the middle of right now. And we pray that the Spirit of God will speak to us. So before we jump into chapter 3, let's just open in a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one who leads and guides us in truth. That God is not, it's not led by an individual or even by the authors of these scriptures, but rather, Lord, it was inspired by you through your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come even today and that you would reveal truth to our hearts, to our context, to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, whatever it looks like, whatever you need to do in us today. Holy Spirit, we invite you. You are welcome here. You are welcome in our hearts to begin to write truth on the tablets of our hearts and to change us in whatever way you need to change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So while you're turning to James chapter 3, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever put your foot in your mouth? Who has ever put their foot in their mouth? Some of us do it more often than others. But has your tongue ever gotten you into trouble? Perhaps the new 21st century way of asking this would, would be, have your fingers on your keyboard ever gotten you into trouble? Because we don't talk to each other anymore. Sad. Here, here's, some, here's some highlight moments from some foot-in-mouth moments in my life. Uh, I remember a time Lisa and I were sitting in a car. We were alone. I know, scandalous, back in college. And we were sitting in a car and I was coming to the realization that I was starting to like her. But, but the problem with that realization is I had made a commitment to myself and to God that I was going to make it through. I didn't want to be the statistic. I was going to make it through Bible college without dating anyone. That was my goal. That was my goal. And so I, in order to keep this, so here I am in this moment, sitting with this beautiful girl that I was starting to like, and what did I say to mitigate my feelings, to kind of step away from what I was feeling in that moment? What did I say? I said, Lisa, I think of you as like a little sister. <laughs> not a wise moment, not a good use of my words. I remember another time I was getting lambasted by our custodian. This is my very first church. And I'm getting lambasted by our custodian because I had just done a youth night and I had left a little bit of a mess, okay? Left a little bit of a mess. And as he's lambasting me, as he's telling me this and that and the other thing, I step up and I go, what are you complaining about? It's just job security, okay? Bad moment. 
Bad moment. He did not take that like I was being a blessing towards him and giving him job security. Finally, telling God in my heart that I would not, under any circumstances, live in a remote community. (laughs) Two ferries later, here we are. Has your tongue ever gotten you into trouble? Have you ever put your foot in your mouth? James chapter 3, let's jump in, starting verse 1. And it opens with these great words of encouragement. Just fantastic words of encouragement. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So you can see when I say this is encouraging for me, that was a little bit of sarcasm there, if you didn't pick up on it. You can see why this might not be the most encouraging way of recruiting teachers in the church. Here he says, you will be judged stricter, Followed by, we all stumble in so many ways. Put those together, and you might see why they're not so encouraging. However, here's the deal. If anyone gets up here and either tells you they have it all together, or they imply it by their omissions, it's not a true story. If anyone gets up to teach others and pretends like they have it all together... They're not giving a true representation of what's going on. Because the reality is we are all in this thing together. But the reality also is that those who teach, those who have been given responsibility in the kingdom of God have a greater responsibility before God. And so James opens this by saying, hey, listen, the more responsibility I give you, the more responsibility you have in the kingdom, the stricter I'm going to be with you. The stricter I'm going to be with you. And so we're going to be kind of just going through, we're not going to be really digging in until about verse 13, but I wanted to just kind of give an overview of what James is saying here. So verse 5 now. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue, is, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow. Wow. I mean, we all know about fire in BC, right? We all know about fire. And what's crazy about some of these fires that we hear about is their origins. A simple lightning strike, and all of a sudden, you got a fire that can consume communities. Uh, The worst is when you find out the origins were human-made. Whether it's someone not tending their campfire, or someone throwing a cigarette into the bush, or or someone riding a, a quad in tall grass and lighting it up. Like, you hear about these stories. 
of human-made fires that end up absolutely obliterating entire forests and sometimes entire communities. And James is warning us, the tongue can set a fire in community. It can set a fire in relationships. It can even set a fire within yourself. The tongue is quick to criticize. The tongue is quick to tear down. The tongue is quick to worst case scenario. The tongue is quick to judgment. And unfortunately, we've seen these kind of fire. We've seen this fire in community. We've seen this fire in church. We've seen it tear down and not build up. And James is bringing us to this this idea that our tongue is not for us. And it's untamable. In verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. We gather in church and we sing songs of praise to God. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So in one instance we will worship God with this tongue. We will bless his name. And then in another instance we will look someone square in the face and speak death over them and criticize them. And tear them down with the same tongue. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is a devastating kind of section of scripture. No human being can tame the tongue. We have tamed lions and tigers and bears. And you say, oh my. But the tongue, it's an untamable beast, James says. So the question is, what hope do we have? And I want you to check the words. There's some key words that you need to see here. He says, but no human being can tame the tongue. You see that? No human being can tame the tongue. How many of you know when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to relationship with Jesus, there's always hope? How many know that? There's always hope. And he says, no human being can tame the tongue. But we have the hope that comes with Jesus taking lordship of our lives through the Holy Spirit. We have the hope that comes with inviting the Holy Spirit to take this vessel, this body, this tongue, these motives, this heart, this soul, and to use it for his glory. And when we submit ourselves, when we sing the song, Holy Spirit, with all of our hearts, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to have your way, to lead me, to guide me, to check my language, to give me a check in the spirit when I want to speak something critical over someone else. When I want to tear down instead of build up. To check me in that moment. And to give me grace, strength in my weakness. 
to stop. The Holy Spirit, he leads and he guides us with the use of this tongue. Now, before we take a step kind of forward from this, uh, I kind of wanted to get a little bit Pentecostal on you. Is that okay? Just, just in case you were wondering, when you came in through the, through the driveway, you saw a sign that said, Evangel Pentecostal Church, okay? So I'm going to get a little bit Pentecostal on you. And have you ever wondered why the personal gift of tongues exists? Why, why does Scripture speak of, and why do we see a demonstration of this personal gift of tongues, this prayer language that God gives his church? And if you're new to this, uh, when you look at Scripture, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon uh, disciples all through Acts, where there's a laying on of hands and, a pray, and praying and a baptism of fire, and they begin to either speak in other tongues or prophesy. And the gifts of the Spirit begin to flow out of them. And one of those, the Scripture talks about is a personal tongue, just a, uh, a tongue that's not learned of, of either human tongue or of angels, Scripture says. And we begin to speak that. And what it does is it bypasses our intellect, okay? And the Holy Spirit begins to pray through us, spirit to spirit, straight to God, and it edifies us. It builds us up. It aligns us with what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. Interesting that James is talking about the tongue in this kind of language. It's a fire straight from hell. <laughs> it's untamable. It's full of unrighteousness and evil. Like he's using very strong language when it comes to this little member of our body. And I think it's interesting that when the Spirit of God comes upon us, if we take that step of faith and lend him our tongue, he can take that and completely redeem this member of our body as we begin to pray in the spirit and begin to align ourselves with the heart of God. I just, that's just a little bit of a freebie. That's a caveat. It's a beautiful picture that we have turned our tongue over to the lordship of Jesus. We can't tame the tongue, but the Spirit of God is more than able to give us checks in our spirit, to tell us when to speak and when to shut up. How many of you know sometimes you need the Spirit of God to tell you to shut up? Hey, who's ever been there? And sometimes we need to speak. Sometimes the least natural thing for us to do is to speak life over other people. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about why is it so hard at times to just speak encouragement and life over others? And, and here's the interesting part. Why is it so hard at times to speak life and encouragement over those that are closest to us? And sometimes the Holy Spirit needs to redeem our tongue to step out of the routine and the natural into the supernatural where we look around at those that are maybe different than us and we speak life over them. Where we see the diamond in the rough as opposed to just the rough. And we speak that over people.
And this brings us into the bulk of what we want to dig into today. And out of this conversation, James brings us back to this, this journey of walking in wisdom. And, and James has talked, he introed with this, talking about wisdom. And he, he kind of comes back to it. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And this is where we really want to dig in today. And a few weeks back, we spoke on the tongue. And if you, uh, if you haven't heard that message, you can go back. And so we're not going to dig into the tongue a whole lot today. But today we want to just dig into wisdom. We want to dig into the motives of the heart. We want to dig into what God is, through James, speaking to us today. And here it is. You ready? We're going to do a little compare and contrast. James follows up the talk of the tongue with comparing and contrasting what godly wisdom, so submitting to the lordship of Jesus, and worldly wisdom, being right in our own eyes. And when we chatted about wisdom before, we came to the conclusion that, that wisdom is more than the acquisition of knowledge, but rather the application of knowledge in situations. Wisdom is not about knowing more. Wisdom is about enacting the knowledge that God has given us, enacting what God has spoken over us. Have you ever met that person that is, is more knowledgeable than you could ever hope to be? But when it comes to kind of just living life, they're like as dumb as a bag of hammers. Have you ever? Okay, so this is what we're talking about. It's not just about having our head full of knowledge. It's not just about having scripture memorized and having everything set. James over and over, he's just hitting on this head. Hey, listen, it's not good enough that you know scripture or know the right way or you have to then live it, act it out. It's a verb tense wisdom. And so James, he goes on in, in, in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The claim to be wise is not based on knowledge alone. If your knowledge does not become reflected in your living, you are not wise. So let's contrast. Let's, let's take verses 13 to 18, and let's just do a little bit of a contrasting. Can we do that? So here we go. So just so point of reference, what we're going to do is capital W wisdom is what we're going to call the wisdom that's from God, okay? The wisdom that's from God. And, and small lowercase w, we're going to call that the wisdom of the world, all right? And James is contrasting these two. And the first thing is, is the motives. 
Okay? The motives of wisdom. When it comes to worldly wisdom, what is the primary motive? It's selfish ambition. And the problem is when selfish ambition is the motive of what we do, it becomes that thing that drives us to do things that we should not do. Because we don't care about anybody else. We don't care about community. We don't care about the bigger picture. We don't care about mission. We don't care about... All we care about is self. Selfish ambition. Me growing, me looking better, me looking wise. Because we all have this need. We all love to be that person at the table when we open our mouth, people listen. Everybody wants that. Everybody desires that. But if that's the motive, then James is saying, hey, we're going to be walking into the brokenness. So let's compare and contrast. First thing, wisdom, godly wisdom leads us to action. Godly wisdom always leads us to action. Worldly wisdom leads us to opinion. Opinion. Just go on to social media. I'm a part of a generation that in some ways, in some ways feels like their action is to simply share their opinion really, really loud. That's not wisdom. That's worldly wisdom. That's not wisdom, though. That doesn't lead to change. It doesn't lead to action. And godly wisdom is always knowing the principles of God, but then applying them. It always leads us to action. The second thing we see is they compare and contrast. Godly wisdom is gentle. Worldly wisdom is forceful. Why is it forceful? Because it's got a It's got a motive of selfish ambition. It's always looking to be right, always looking to be the way. But godly wisdom is always gentle. Matthew Matthew Henry says this, When we are mild and calm, we are best able to hear reason and best able to speak it. Wisdom produces meekness and meekness increases wisdom. But he also says, if you are, sorry, this is, this is actually someone, I was talking to someone in the lobby the other day, and they said, they heard a pastor say, if you say the right thing, okay, if you say the right thing the wrong way, or for the wrong reason, the wrong motives, you still haven't spoken wisdom. Have you ever been in a situation like that, where someone has opened up the Bible and they've spoken truth from Scripture, okay? But you just, you're like, there's something off here. Is that intangible? The motives, the motives were not gentle. The motives were not wisdom. The motives weren't to share or to better or to lead one another to the cross. The motives were selfish, but they used the Bible to do it. Man, those are hard moments. Wisdom is rooted in godliness. 
But worldly wisdom, he says, is rooted in the earthly, the unspiritual, and finally, demonic. Wow, that's a strong word. Demonic. The motives of the heart. Godly wisdom is flexible. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Worldly wisdom is unmoving. Notice James says in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. The wisdom from above is open to reason. So what does that mean? It means that those that are wise can hear other perspectives without being defensive. Those that are truly wise can sit down and have conversation and they are open to reason. They are open to perspective. But those who are not, those who walk in worldly wisdom with a, with a selfish ambition as the motive, they're unmoving. They're not going to be flexible. They're not going to be reasonable. You can sit down with those that walk in worldly wisdom and you're going to get nowhere having a conversation. So the question is, are you wise, capital W, or are you wise, small? When people lend you an alternative perspective, do you listen? Or do you get defensive right away? It's a great indicator of what kind of wisdom you're living in. Wisdom produces good fruit. There's good fruit. There's always a good outcome. But Scripture says, the producing of this wisdom is disorder. Disorder and vile practices. You got to remember, James is writing this to the church. James is writing this letter to Christians. Okay? So sometimes we can read scripture and we can think in the context of the world, all of humanity. No, James is writing this to the church. So James is, James is saying, hey, guys, there's some of you, you're operating in this out of selfish ambition. That's the motive in which you are applying wisdom in the way that you live life and do community one with another. But the reality is when we do this, when we are opinion forceful, I mean, I've, I've seen people, I've seen people so forceful in the church. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes they're right. 
They're forceful, but they're right. They're, they're doing the right thing. They're saying the right things. But because of this, it's wrong. And it doesn't lend itself to unity. And when we go, it begins to just breed disorder in the church. It begins to breed vile practices. We begin to tear each other down. When we come back to the tongue, our tongue does not inform encouragement and life. It begins to tear down. Matthew Henry says, Words that inform and heal and do good are the marks of wisdom, not those that look great and do mischief and are the occasions of evil either in ourselves or others. It produces good fruit. And last but not least, wisdom from God is sown in peace. And this is twofold. It's sown in peace, but it's also reaping peace. The harvest of this kind of wisdom is sown with gentleness and peace. But these that live their lives in this column, they reap peace in their lives. That's the harvest that they reap. But these are sown in discord and disunity. And if you have your Bibles, put a star beside this verse or underline it or highlight it or do whatever you need to do. Mark it up. But verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James comes to the conclusion that those who are wise among us are those who reap a harvest of righteousness because they planted the seeds of wisdom in peace. So perhaps a great litmus test for this is what kind of harvest are you bringing in in your life today? What kind of harvest are you bringing in in your life today? Are you harvesting righteousness and godliness in peace? Or is there discord? Is there disunity? Is there, is there a sense of being hurt because people aren't walking the way you want them to walk. There's a number of mentors that I have in my life that I turn to when I need counsel. And one thing that they all have in common is this. They all treated me with gentleness even when I deserved to be treated like a naive idiot in my younger years. I mean, it's one thing to have people in your life that can hit you in the face with a two-by-four and tell you you're wrong, okay? And we've all had those. I don't know how effective that's been. But every single mentor I have in my life that I turn to, even in moments and seasons of my life where I was a complete fool, they treated me with gentleness. They still spoke truth. But it wasn't out of a selfish ambition on their part. The motive of their heart was to lead me back to Jesus and the cross. The motive of their heart was for my best, not their own. And so when I turn to men and women 
to speak into my life. They are those that sow in peace and gentleness. We say it all the time at Evangel, this faith journey is not just about you. God is calling us to be wise men and women who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness, both in ourselves and those that we come alongside. It's funny, I, I, uh, I was super struggling how to end this today. Um, so many things going through my head. And today, just as, I was, as we were worshiping, I felt God was leading me to do something. And it, uh, you know how God sometimes leads you to do something that scares the, you know what, out of you? Who's ever been there? But just as, as the Spirit was kind of speaking to me, I had someone come up. I just share a bit of a, a vision that, that God had laid on their hearts during the worship. And, and I thought it kind of really fit into what God was kind of pushing me into. And the vision was, was of this um, kind of brown blanket over this community of, of believers. And that there was a revelation of, of the greatness of God to come a season of just a revelation of the greatness of God. But, but it was coming out of a, a place where we position our hearts in humility as worshipers. And, and I, don't, I don't believe that means, you know, when we talk about worship, we, we think so quickly to this singing of songs. That's an expression that we use to corporately do worship together, but that's not worship. It's a part of worship. It's an expression of worship. But worship at its very core is obedience to the Holy Spirit and obedience to the Word of God. Worship at its very core is understanding who God is and who we are in light of Him. Worship always leads us to humility. Always. It always leads us to humility. And so I touched on it today, this, the, 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 the baptism of the Spirit of God. Inviting the Spirit of God to come and just fill us. Take ownership. Take His rightful ownership over us. But what that takes is invitation. It takes a heart of humility. It takes us going, you know what? Yeah, James, James, I can totally relate. My tongue is an untamable beast. My motives at times are so full of selfish ambition that some of the fruit of that ambition is in this column. At times, I sow discord and disunity. At times, I'm, I'm inflexible and unmoving, and my heart is hard. I'm not willing to change. At times I'm forceful. I want to take my opinions and I want to just jump on someone and force them down their throat. Because I know I'm right and they're wrong. 
And the Holy Spirit would say, you know what? We need to stop and take an inventory of the motives of our hearts. And if we're going to truly see the greatness of God in community of faith, it's going to take each of us humbling ourselves and saying, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And I believe that for some of you, there's, there's this moment of the infilling of the Spirit. Scripture tells us to be continually filled with the Spirit. Why? Because we're on this mission where we're continually poured out. Where we're continually pouring ourselves out. So we need to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. 